Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of our weekly Halakha 101 class taught by Rabbi Rebecca Schatz. We are going to just pick up where we left off, which is the the sixth se'if, which means sixth kind of section of the 120th Siman. And that is, that's this section, as as I just mentioned a second ago, that's, this section is about toiveling, is about how we take our different kalim, our different vessels, to a mikvah to be able to make them fit for use. Last time, I think I either made people confused by what I said or or misstated that the amount of water that is needed for uh, for a a thing that you can toivel into is twenty seah, whereas a mikvah is forty seah. So it's not the same amount as a mikvah, but just like a mikvah needs seot of water, and this is what I was trying to get at last time. The 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 vessel that does the mikvahin of these vessels that you're going to change oh, okay. the status of also need to go into uh, into 20 seah of water, need to go into a big enough vat of water that it's completely full. So I just wanted to uh, clarify that if I misspoke or if uh, that was confusing last time. So I'm going to share my screen. Again, we are looking at Siman 120. And we are on Seif 6, or Vav, depending on which kind of book you are looking at. So, let me just situate all of you so I can see you and... Okay. So, we are now talking about a wooden vessel. So, Kli 8, Sheyeshlo Chashukim Shel Barzel. So, a vessel that is made out of wood, but has hoops or some kind of probably handles on the that are made out of uh, iron on the outside me on the outside for holding it it up does not require dunking so, so i can't actually picture what what this would be in our normal kitchens uh, in 2021 but some kind of wooden vessel where there are iron handles um or hoops as it's saying Somehow, somehow be holding it maybe on a rack or make again I, I, I can't even picture what this would be like does not require any kind of dunking um, like a barrel yeah maybe like a barrel I just don't know yeah I guess a barrel or maybe like a netilat yadaim type situation um, obviously if it's made out of wood it's not going on a stove so potentially that's the reason that they're talking about it wood is also a very finicky thing when it comes to actual koshering which is not what we're talking about right now, but we will talk about it another time. Um, so this this category of uh, of vessel is not one that needs to be dumped, does not need to be toiled. Um, Karen Cass raised her hand. Yes, Karen Cass. It's confusing to me. Yeah. Because I would imagine wood would be needing to be cleansed. Yeah. So the iron things on the side, I mean, if my wooden spoon had an iron ring attached to it, Mm -hmm. I could use it any way I want, and it wouldn't have to be titled, titled. 
Yeah, I don't think that it's saying anything that has iron attached to wood. I don't think that's what it's trying to say. I think similar to what Renee just put in the chat, like maybe a salad bowl or something. Something that probably is not is not cooking, right? It's not okay. doing the cooking itself. Um, a wooden spoon definitely needs to be toiled. Um, totally. But yeah, but a but a but a vessel that is made out of wood probably does not need, well, definitely does not need to be in this category of, um, of halacha, but probably does not need to be because it's not going directly on a stove. So you're not cooking in it. But if you, let's say you pour hot soup in it. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's a very interesting question. I don't, again, I can't picture what this kind of vessel would be in our, in our system. Let's put a link in the chat. Look in the chat. Um, no. Oh, the picture? Okay. Oh, that's cool. Here's a picture from Bob Roost. Okay. Uh, it's a bucket. Right. Again, I'm not, thank you for the visual. I'm not sure if this is what they're talking about because I think they're talking about, well, uh, who knows? I think they're talking about actual rings that you would like like a stovetop pot that you can imagine but instead of it being made out of metal it's made out of wood so it's possible this is what they're talking about I have absolutely no idea because I didn't live in the five well not 500s I guess but the 1500s um yeah I I just yeah um oh more chats I don't, oh, I don't hear any interference sorry Debbie I don't know what that is I also don't hear it um Okay, so let's go to this next piece. It's possible that it's going to continue to um, to clarify some things for us. A silver cup, which is connected to a wooden vessel, requires dunking. So this is the kind of case with a um, with like a bucket that has some kind of handle. This would be like for something for Netilat Yadaim before the eight days of running water, um, that you would have a, a cup connected to the vessel that was going to then hold the liquid. So a silver cup connected to a wooden vessel does require dunking. Um, and then the Ramah, Rabbi Moshe Israelis, goes on to say, and so too pepper millstones, within, which within the wood there is iron affixed for grinding requires dunking. And so too iron funnels or tappings of iron and other metals all of them require dunking, and specifically that the essence of the vessel is metal. But if the essence of the vessel is wood, only if some iron is affixed to it, since in order to use it without the iron, dunking is not required. But a vessel which is repaired with iron rods, this is getting very specific. This is the kind of halacha where I'm like, all right, move on to the next thing. But it is interesting. But a vessel which is repaired with iron rods and without the rods, one would not be able to use it and they are on the inside, dunking is required. Now, this is the kind of halacha where when I read it, I'm like, I'll just dunk everything, right? (laughs) Because at this point, it's like, okay, what kind of vessel is this? Is the iron on the outside? Is the iron on the inside? How much iron versus wood, right? There's there's a lot of kind of math being done here. Um, but it seems to say that if the, that the, um, the essence of the vessel is not wood, then you should be dunking it. But if the essence of the vessel is wood, and then it goes on to say all these other things about whether or not there's iron or, or, um, or something else, then you don't need to do the dunking because wood is a different kind of substance. Um, 
Again, when we talk about uh, when we talk about actual koshering later on, wood, metal, glass, porcelain all have very different koshering uh, styles, forms, functions. Uh, so when we get there, some of this might make a little bit more sense. For example, you cannot kosher wood from like a regular day to Pesach because wood is very porous. Um, there are some that say that you can kosher from meat to milk. There are many others that say you cannot, uh, but it just kind of depends on, on who you're reading. But that's my guess as to why you don't have to toivel is because, um, because of, of that type of material. Uh, the word for the washing basin is natlan from natilat. Yes, yes, thank you, Alan. Uh, okay. One who borrows or rents a vessel from an idol worshiper, someone asked a very similar question to this last week, does not need to dunk it. So if you take a bowl from a non, from a, from an idol worshiping non-Jew, uh, you do not need to toivel it before you use it. But if an Israelite, a Jew, acquires it from an idol worshiper and lends it to a friend, it requires dunking, as dunking was already required by the first person. So the, if you, if you, if you acquire something, meaning it's given to you, you're not giving it back by someone who is an idol worshiper, then you have to toivel it. And the added step that they're giving you here is not only do you have to toivel it, but if you didn't toivel it and then you give it to another Jew, they should toivel it because you didn't. So they're assuming that the person who acquires it either didn't know that they were acquiring it or they were not, um, I don't know, as punctilious in their, in their toiveling. Uh, and so they didn't, they didn't toivel it. They didn't go through that step. In which case, the, the person who acquires it afterwards should do the toiveling, Renee, and then Tybal. So, yeah, these are really specific, but um, it doesn't say that it's necessarily being given to, uh, that the friend that you're giving it to is a Jewish friend. So if you gave it to somebody who was not Jewish, would you still have to toivel it? Uh, no. So the thing, the thing that's very interesting about probably terrible, but about the Shulchan Aruch is when it says friend, they're probably assuming that that person is a Jew because the rabbis of this time didn't imagine that you would be friends with somebody who wasn't, which in all kinds of ways. But then why would you get the, why would you get the dish from an idol worshiper to begin with? Uh, I don't know, someone you work with, someone who gifted you a but thing. But you wouldn't, you wouldn't be associating with non-Jews anyways, if, according to that logic, right? Well, you might associate with them without sharing their utensils. Right, I think that when they say chaver, all I'm getting at is when I, I think when they say chaver, that they're assuming that this is someone you have an intimate relationship with, and so they, they assume that that's a person who's also Jewish. But you bring up a good a good point, and and it's not specific enough, so it's a good drush. <laughs> uh, Taibo, um, I have this vague recollection, which isn't quite coming back, that there's something about if you borrow something or watch something, and it's the kind of Kenyan where one is a Kenyan, a formal Kenyan, and what isn't, and is that's what's going on here, because. So if you if you're just borrowing, you haven't taken it. But if you take that borrowed thing and presume to do something that the first owner didn't, that's in effect taking 
the the possession legal possession of it so then if something went wrong you just owe the money you wouldn't know the object back is that why there's this difference and why you have to dunk it and why you don't yeah so if you end up acquiring something right so the 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 word that Tybal is using is kinyan which is what is done also in a wedding right the, a type of acquisition um though we don't typically talk about the word acquisition in a wedding in 2021 um but that is the that is what's happening like with a ring and with a ketubah etc uh so yes when you acquire something that is now yours similar with a lulav right you can't borrow a lulav but you can take a lulav so if someone puts their lulav down and you pick it up, it's as if it's yours now, um, but you can't pass the lulav to someone else. I've heard this also, and I'm not sure where this came from or if someone was just drashing, but I've heard this also in terms of a shovel at a in the earth is because you want to actually own it for yourself, like take on the mitzvah yourself, as opposed to having someone else give you give you the mitzvah to do. I think it's an interesting drush. Not sure if it's uh, if it's based in sources anywhere, but a similar idea that if you take something up yourself, now it is yours, and so that would be the reason that you would have to do uh, tvila, that you would have to toivel because it's as if you bought it on your own because now you've acquired it and so it's yours. Um. Okay, there was one more line before we get into the gloss here. So there are those who say that if the first person did not take it for the purpose of a meal, rather only for cutting parchments and the like, he is not required to dunk it. Okay, so this is really getting into the weeds here, that if you, for example, get a, I don't know, cutting board, and the first person who was an idol worshiper used it as a cutting board, but then you're going to use it, you know, for your kids' art projects before giving it to your next friend who is going to use it as a cutting board, you don't have to toivel it because you're not using it for food. But that means all the more so that the second person should, in fact, toivel it because, they are now going to use it for food and you did not. Um, though I realize that after saying art projects, you probably wouldn't use it for food because there'd be glue all over it. Um, but anyway, you get the idea that if you're not using it for food, uh, if the middleman, so to speak, is not using it for food, the second person person should all the more so um, make sure to do the toiveling. Uh so that so that you can you know use it for use it for food. The Ramah says, but it is forbidden for the person to use it for the needs of a meal, even on a temporary basis. So this is saying that um, that even that even if the middleman middle woman uh, did not use it for a meal, if it has not if you do not toggle it, then you cannot use it for a meal. Um, just lost my place without dunking, although he acquired it, the purpose of cutting parchments, right? So even if a person gave it to you after using it for art projects, and so they assume that that might be what you're using it for, you have to toggle if you know that you're going to be using it for food, because you're going to be using it for food. So now it's a vessel for food. And so you need to make sure that it's, you've been, you've taken it to, to toggle. And so too, if the second Israelite acquired it from the first, for the purpose of meals, the second must dunk it. Okay, so just making that more clear. Um, oh, gloss. Great. Thanks, Debbie. So we talked about this a little bit last time. The gloss is just the name, the English kind of title for the Ramah, who is Rabbi Moshe Isserlis, and he is the Ashkenazi opinion on the Sephardic literature. So this, the Shulchan Aruch 
was written by a Sephardic rabbi, and therefore that which is written is seen as kind of the Sephardic opinion. And the gloss, Rabbi Moshe Israelis, is a an Ashkenazi rabbi, and so his opinions, which were written in as I don't want to use the word commentary because it's it's not it's not a commentary. It's added in just like the other laws. Um, are seen as the gloss into into the Sephardic opinion um, so that the Ashkenazi Jews know, know what to do. So anytime we say gloss, the Ashkenazi opinion is coming through in that in that case. Is it like an acronym for something or it's it's not I mean the English is just so that people know what it is, but it says Haga here, which which just means that that's when Rabbi Moshe Israelis is speaking. Okay. Um it just means that he he has his he has his moment with the microphone. <laughs> okay, thank you for yeah, explaining. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Um, if they were smart, they just would have written Rama. I'm not sure why they had to make it a whole other <laughs> situation, but they use a different title. Okay, are we all good? I know this is like some of this is quite dry, no pun intended. But should we? Uh, can we keep going? Yeah. Okay, I'm getting, Karen's asleep and nodding. Okay, um, if, <laughs> if an idol worshiper provides a vessel as a loan guarantee to an Israelite, i.e. as collateral, right? So this is also in a world where, you know, we're, we're receiving items in different ways than the way that we, that we swap um, plates. If it appears in the mind of the idol worshiper that it is permanent in his hand, dunking is required. So this actually, Karen, listen up, this is very interesting. Um, this actually is a very, uh, a very prominent theme in Jewish law, which is intention. So the intentionality around something, whether it's what you are doing or what you expect the other person to be doing, is extremely important. So the intentionality around why you think, in this case, um, that why you think someone is taking this item, then you must do do the action, in this case, do the toiveling with that item based on the intention. Even if the intention is completely, I'll give you an example that's not toiveling. If you are, and if any of my sixth graders or their parents are listening, this is on their quiz. Um, if you are walking behind a synagogue on Rosh Hashanah and you know that walking behind that synagogue, you might hear the shofar, you have fulfilled your obligation if you hear the shofar. However, if you're walking behind the synagogue on Rosh Hashanah and you do not expect to hear the shofar and then you do, you have not fulfilled your obligation. Still the same walk, still the same synagogue, still the same shofar blowing, but it's the intentionality around why you are there. And therefore, if you didn't have any intention, you no longer, um, you, you no longer are fulfilling your obligation around shofar. Same here with toiveling. If it is the intention that this is going to be permanent for you, right? It's using the word, the, the pronoun, I should say, his, just because that's generic, not, not because this, this is only for men. Um, but if a person acquires an item, then you should dunk it. No matter, no matter what you think, um, it is for, if the intentionality is that it will be for a meal, you should, you should put it in a mikvah. Yeah, title. Um, I just thought I'd give a more interesting one from a different tractate, uh, you're smiling already, 
if a couple has sexual relations with the intention of making them um, the married, at least at one point I thought in Jewish law or I studied it, then they're married. But if they don't intend to have that sexual relations, make them married, then they're not. So, so it's kind of, I, I was smiling because you said more interesting. And I was like, what? Mine was, mine was interesting. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> um, it's just, it's just my idiosyncratic view no, that no, it's sexual relations are more interesting than, than no, totally. bowls. Totally, totally. But I just wanted you to know that I wasn't smiling because I thought, I thought I knew what you were going to say. Um, so sort of the the way around se- premarital sex and how that works in halakha is is a little bit different. That's part of it, right? The intentionality definitely has to be there for um for sex before marriage to mean acquisition of the person uh who was having sex with in this case the man. Um however, if you are if you are having sex for the for the sake of marriage, the intentionality is marriage, you have to have witnesses. So it's not just, oh, we're going to have sex tonight and it's going to be for the intention of marriage. You have to also set up to make sure that you have witnesses <laughs> there for you to have sex in the presence of other people, um, which is often not how things go down. So I, I think that that, that is... It's, it's definitely part of it, and that intentionality is the same in terms of the first step. But you cannot just have sex for the intention of marriage and then be considered married just by intentionality. There also need to be witnesses. Um, yes, Alan. Does the same apply with the other two ways? Is it star, bia, and kesef? Yeah. So you need witnesses for the star. That's the ketubah, something in writing. Bi'ah is the sexual relations coming, and kesef. Do you need two witnesses to show that you are giving money to acquire for Kenyan to take place? Do you still yeah. need the two witnesses in all three? Yeah, so if we wanted to equate those three things to how we do a wedding today, though they don't they don't specifically align, and my friend Rabbi Josh Parnick would be really mad that I'm doing this because every time I do it, he's like, that's not how it works. But if we were going to align them to 2021 wedding, Kesef would be the rings. Um, and you do need witnesses for the ring ceremony. Right. So, so yes, there it, it, it does go with ADIM all the way around. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, great. So let's get back to Toivaline, though sex is definitely much more exciting. Um, okay. Uh, and, and who would have known that we would have gotten from, uh, from toiveling to sex? Those two things are not usually connected. Uh, okay. So if it appears in the mind of the idol worshiper that it is permanent in his hand, dunking is required. And if not, dunk without a blessing or acquire a different vessel and dunk. <laughs> so, so basically, if you don't want to do it, then, or if you don't think that this is going to be the intention for that vessel, then get a different vessel and then take it to toivel it. Um, I'm trying to think of a good example of this. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure that I can come up with an example, but basically this is all about intention. This is all, this is, it's just, I'm, it's hard for me to come up with an example for 2021 because it's not really how we deal with vessels any longer. Um, but if, if the intention there is to use it as a vessel, toggle it. That's basically, that's the, that's the moral of this story. And then the Ramah, the gloss says, 
And if in the end it becomes permanent in his hand, dunk without a blessing, right? So the Ashkenazi opinion here is a little bit more lenient, which is interesting. And the Ramah basically says that if at a certain point it becomes clear that this is now a permanent vessel of yours, then you should go and you should take it at that point to toivel it without a blessing. So it doesn't have to be that from the outset you know that it's going to be permanent, but it, at, if at whatever point you know that it's going to be permanent, you then take it to toivel, right? The, the, that intentionality has changed, and therefore your actions need to change around it. Um, I'll, I'll give another example that has nothing to do with toiveling. When I was in rabbinical school, there was a rule that you could not live with a member, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say this, and I don't need any commentary on it because I know there's a lot of problems with this, but you cannot live with a member of the opposite gender um, unless you are married to them. Again, I understand that doesn't take into account people who are homosexual. Just go with me here. That was the rule back in the day. We had to sign a thing. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, my first roommate in rabbinical school was male. I am a rule follower, hence I like halacha. And I went to my dean and I said, can I live with so-and-so? They are a male. And I know that the rule is that you can't live with someone of the opposite gender unless you're married to them. So my dean said to me, are you interested in him romantically? I said, no. He said, are, are you, uh, oh, will you have two separate bedrooms, two separate bathrooms? Yes. He said, as soon as you become romantically interested in him, you have to either find another place to live or decide that you're not going to act upon those um, on those actions, right? So, and this is not how Ziegler is any longer. I'm just sharing with you back in the day, 10 years ago, um, this is how it was for me. So that intention, that moment of transition, even if it's just in your mind, implies that there's a new status to the thing. So with a vessel, the implication is, okay, now I know that this is something that I am going to be using for an, for an intentional purpose around food, therefore I need to toivel it, even if that wasn't how it was in the beginning of, of you acquiring the, the vessel. Okay, um, let's go to the next one here. I have to move you all, sorry. Okay, so a Jewish person, it says, as you can see in the Hebrew, Israel Shenatan Kesef. So a Jewish person who gives literally silver, but money to an idol worshiping artisan to make a vessel from it does not require dunking. So let me ask you, why do you think this is? If you need to toivel something that was owned or used by someone who is an idol worshiper, how is this the get around? How is this the way that you would not have to toivel something um, even if it's been in the hands of an idol worshiper? Any thoughts? Someone else? No. Yeah, Marley, so you can go. Uh, actually, Gary, Gary. I would assume that if, you're, if you're, this is going to be totally not around food, okay. um, there is no reason to toivel it. I mean, if it's, okay, there if might not be any reason to toivel it. You might be right. But why, if, if you know that it's going to be a vessel and you're, you're telling this idol worshiper to create the vessel for you, how come you don't have to toivel it? I guess, you know, I assume that, you know, the intent is not for any, 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 um, any intent. I mean, it could be for the, for the garden. Okay, great. So it's so possible about intent. Paula? 
I was thinking that you own the silver and you gave it to them and your ownership interest remains with it. Great. So they're working on it, but they're not owning it and giving it to you. Great. So that's probably more likely, though I think that Gary's uh, Gary's thought process is the one that we would have today, right? If you're giving it to someone who you know is an idol worshiper, but you're making it for the purpose of something that you want, you assume that you know the intent of why it's being made, and then it will have, even if the person is an idol worshiper, it will not be used as an idol. So I, I believe that that's kind of the, the mental game that has gone through, but Paula is the practical reason. If you are giving the money to the person to create the thing, it's as if you've owned it all along. Because you're not giving it to them once it's already made, you're giving it to them for the process of making it. It's like saying to someone, like my brother had my uh, sister-in-law's engagement ring made for her, right? He came to a jeweler, he said, this is what I want it to look like, here is the money, here is the diamond, go for it. It's as if the ring was his from the beginning, because all the artisan was doing was putting it together because that's not a skill that my brother has. So that's what's happening here is the, there's ownership around the, uh, around the entire process, even if your hands aren't the one creating the vessel. Taiba, did you have something to say? Um, a question, though. It, could part of it be, because in some sense it didn't exist before, so there's no history in which it could have been used for idol worship. Because by making this new thing, you've changed its essence. Correct. That's exactly, you just said it, you just said it more artistically than I did, but that's exactly right. Yeah. So the fact that you are giving the money for the thing to be created, it's as if you own the creation. So the idol worshiper doesn't own it, even if it's in their hands. That's exactly right. Um, okay. And then, oh yeah, Gary, so go ahead. Yep, I assume if the, the image was an, was an idol, then that would kind of ruin it. Yeah, but then you wouldn't be be paying for it, right? You wouldn't say you wouldn't say to the person, "Hey, create for me a Buddha." You would no, say, create, you, "Create whatever you want," and hopefully it's nice. And then if you ends up being a Buddha, then you have a discussion. Okay. Correct. Correct. I think that in this particular case, again, we're using 2021 brains to have this discussion. But I think in this particular case, it's, oh, you go to a guy who makes bowls. You happen to know that the guy who makes bowls is also an idol worshiper. But you feel like you can go to him and say, here's $20. Can you make the bowl for me? I think that's kind of more along the lines of what we're talking about. Less here's $40, you know, create create a vessel for me of any kind. <laughs> yeah, Jackie. Thank- it seems, though, from this, and then especially from what the Ramah writes, that he's literally handing him the silver to Correct. make the bowl out of that silver. Like, he's not even, it's not that he's paying him. He never loses ownership of the material itself. Oh, interesting. So they're using, I wasn't looking at the Hebrew. So they're using silver as the metal, not the, because it's, yeah. <laughs> they use kesef in both ways. Interesting. Okay. Because la solo mi meno, Right. So it could be both ways, right? It could be that you're going to make from it um, in terms of the silver, an actual silver bowl, candlesticks, etc. I'm not candlesticks, I guess, but bowl, cup. Um, but the, the, or it could be like Jackie's reading it, 
that it would be, here's the actual, sorry, or it, that was how Jackie read it. Or it could be the way that I read it, which is here is the money. You have the material. Now make the thing. So that's, it's very interesting that you're reading it that way. And, and I it's, think Zerama also reads it that way. Okay. Well, we'll get there in just one second. Yeah, Barbara. If, if the idol worshiper didn't use the thing, just made it. Yeah. Then it hasn't been used. It hasn't by the idol worshiper. It doesn't even matter a lot of what's been said. It's only bad if the idol worshiper had used it. Just making it, it's no big deal. It doesn't matter who, what, what metal is used or the fact that he owned it up front because he paid for it. Yeah. The idol worker never, worshiper never used it, so why would you have to toggle it? Right. So that seems to be what, what's being said here and, and agreed. The only time that this would be, that, that it would potentially, um, negate or disagree with what you just said is if the worshiping of idols was happening not just on the item but in the kind of in the storefront so to speak right in like in the in the environment of the thing and then it's it would be confusing or doubtful or suffake in the language of halacha as to whether or not the vessel was actually part taking in the in the idol worship itself again that's that's like very murky um and i think that you are right i'm just adding in that extra little clouded piece there um and also it's really good to see you barbara i've missed you a lot um glad that you're with us <laughs> um okay so the Barbara used to come to all of my classes and now Barbara's, you know, a fancy, a fancy doctor. And so she doesn't get to come to everything. Uh, so it's good to see. I'm you. not fancy. I'm, I'm not doing it to Beverly Hills people like before. <laughs> now I'm doing it to the peons. <laughs> That's good. I'm working harder. That's better. I like that better. Okay. The, so the Ramah, the Haggah says, and there are those who disagree and say to dunk it without a blessing. So there are those who would say, no, you should still dunk it, right? The Ramah is always going to take this, I shouldn't say always, is most of the time going to take this stance of, listen, if you're not sure, just dunk it. Like, who cares? You're going to be taking eight other plates to dunk anyway. Just take it. Who, unless it's going to ruin the item, just take it. It really doesn't matter. But just do it without a blessing because you're not sure. So do it without a blessing so that you're not doing a, a bracha levatala, right? That you're not doing it for, because of um, a blessing that would need to be somehow canceled out or not uh, or not necessary. And if some of the silver used to make the vessel, okay, so this is this is the way that the English is being translated. Sorry, the way the Hebrew is being translated into English here is the way that Jackie was reading it. Um, and I'm not looking at the Hebrew at the same time. So yeah, again, that could mean that the, the actual silver that in Hebrew could actually, could be the silver that actually created it, or it could be the money that was used to create it. Who, who really knows? Um, but it doesn't actually matter in terms of, um, the understanding of this thing. It would only matter if you were the artisan and then, then it matters. And if some of the silver used to make the vessel was owned by the idol worshiper, dunking is required. So if, if some of, again, you could say this one of two ways. If the silver that was given to you as material, some of that silver, or I should, let me say it this way, not, your silver was not enough to create the item. And so now the idol worshiper is having to use some of his silver, then you do have to dunk it. The other way of understanding this is you didn't give the guy enough money to complete the task. 
he had to use some of his own stuff, and so now you have to dunk it. So either way, what this is basically saying is, no matter the type of material, no matter um, no matter the the process, if the idol worshiper at any point uses something that the idol worshiper once owned, you now have to dunk the item. So the only reason you would not have to dunk the item at all is if everything that was used slash owned to make your vessel came from you, the Jew, right? I'm trying, I'm using very stark language I, and I, I recognize that it's not extremely inclusive, but, but that's exactly what it means, right? If it comes from a Jew, it's okay. If it comes from a non-Jew who's an idol worshiper, it's not okay. So yeah, Karen. <clears throat> If you go into Glotmart and you buy a pot, yep. you'll have to toggle it? So some would say yes, some would say no. Um, if you if you believe that that pot from Glotmart, which is not made by Glotmart, I'm pretty sure Glotmart doesn't make anything, um, but maybe the sushi that they sell, uh, that if you get a pot from Glotmart that was made in Japan, right or let's let's use china um you made in china you have to decide is it possible that that pot was made in china by people who who worship idols so it's only and, about the idol worshiper 100 percent. not a jew a jew gives me a, so it's an idol worship person so what you are what what you are trying to get at is does it matter where i buy it and the answer is no the the who made it Correct. It's who made it. And it's in the case that we just talked about, you know, one section ago in terms of if you got it from another person, it depends on how they used it. So that would be a used item rather than a brand new item. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. It's a great question. Um, thus, an Israelite artisan, so a Jewish person who makes a vessel for an idol worshiper and acquires it from him shall dunk. Right. So if a Jewish uh, woodworker makes a vessel for someone who is not Jewish and he ends up acquiring it. Right. He somehow he makes it for someone who is an idol worshiper, but then it ends up being his, the Jews. He does dunk it because, again, it's unclear what the idol worshiper might have done with it. This is really getting into into like very specific um, nuance here, but again, it's all about intentionality and all about use. Also, without a blessing, also, and also without a blessing, sorry, end of sentence. So you would dunk it, but without a blessing, because again, this wasn't something that, that was new, nor is it something that you are so sure about that it needs a blessing, but because it's a suffix, because it's doubtful, you do dunk it anyway. If the idol worshiper gave him the medals, Right. If the idol worshiper was the one who gave this Jewish artisan the the metal to create it with or the money to create the item with, then, you know, uh, then you also don't do it with a blessing. Sorry, I'm I'm trying to read this very bizarre punctuation. Um, if the Israelite makes it himself and only acquires the metal from the idol worshiper, or if he gave some metals of his own, dunking is not required. So this is the opposite of what we were talking about before, which is if there is some metal or some money given 
by the Jew to create this item, dunking is not necessary because it's as if you had joint ownership of the item. So the only time that you do the dunking is if there is a doubt as to how it was used before or if the material was completely, well, not completely, was, was it all infiltrated by someone who is an idol worshiper? Does that make sense? This was the most kind of murky of the ones we went through so far. Yeah, everybody with me? Okay, great. If anybody has any questions about toiveling in the Temple Beth Am community, I'm just going to send them to all of you. Uh, okay, so an Israelite, so again, when they say Israelite, they're just saying Jew. So a Jewish person who sells a vessel to an idol worshiper and returns and takes it from him, dunking is required. So this is what the gloss just said. It's just that, that now the Shulchan Aruch Yosef Karo is saying it later. Um, so a person who is going to make an item, then gives it to a person who's not Jewish, but then somehow gets it back, they have to dunk the item again, because again, you don't know what the idol worshiper has done with it. But if the idol worshiper holds it as collateral, and the Israelite returns and redeems it, it does not require dunking. So if the idol worshiper is just kind of holding on to it, like you've gone on vacation, um, and you just you gave it to somebody to just hold and not use, but just kind of have around, you don't need to dunk it because the assumption is that it wouldn't be to go back to what Gary was saying, that it, there's no intention, right? There's no intention that this is a thing that would be used for the same purposes that you are using it for. And therefore the idol worship is not what, even if the person is an idol worshiper, you're not worried that that vessel is going to be used in that way. And so you don't have to toyble it. You don't have to dunk it. The Ramah says, if a Jew and an, a Jew and an idol worshiper, sounds like the beginning of a joke, who acquire a vessel in partnership, right, does not require dunking. So again, I, th these are, some of these things are hard to come up with examples in 2021. But if someone is an idol worshiper and someone is a Jew and for some reason you own a bowl together <laughs> or you own, a, I don't know, a, a, a tea kettle together, then you do not need to dunk it. Because again, you have some knowledge around what that item is being used for. So you don't have to dunk it because you have some ownership in the, in the use of the item. Which actually, just to, just to, for a second, stand on a little bit of a social action uh, soapbox. The, the a lot of this is very black and white, like Jew yes, non-Jew no, right? But this actually is very sweet in terms of if you share something, you have to imagine that there is partnership around the sharing of that, and so the knowledge, the education that you might give, uh, the the. Um, I don't know, the, the hand-holding that you might have to do around a shared object allows you to say, no, I understand what this is being used for. And that in that regard, I'm not worried, because really it's all about worry. I'm not worried that someone who might believe something different than I is somehow, you know, uh, destroying or, or, uh, or messing with my use of a ritual object. Um, and food vessels are ritual objects because we say blessings over our food. Okay, lots of hands popped up, so hold on one second. Gary and Marlies, then Helen, then Alan. So I I know you've gone over 
I'm sure you've answered this question, but I feel like I'm still not quite getting it in terms of it's not kashrut, but it's toybling. It's for status. Is that is Correct. that right? And, right. So it's and, just, and it's, what really is? I, I just I'm not really getting the difference. No, that's okay. So it's just for preparation of food, right? So the reason that you would that you would toybel an object. Uh, a vessel, right? Uh, uh, something being used for food is so that whatever you use for food can be a vessel that is only that, that is only for Jewish use. Um, the, I'll say that without using te- technical terms, and maybe it'll make more sense. When you kosher something, you're trying to make sure that you can use it for meat or use it for milk. This is just to say. I know that this is an item that has not been used for spiritual practice elsewhere. And so I can use it in my Jewish home. So it's different than saying now this is going from meat to milk or now this is going from Pesach to daily use. And it's going from this is not usable by me to this is usable by me as a Jew. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Like you have a Hamzid hand, you have and you get it, and from somebody you have no idea. Should you, I guess you would not be. You'd have to clean it spiritually, clean it, right? Well, you wouldn't because you're not using it with food. You're only doing this with food vessels. So, like when you get a vase from somebody, you don't have to toyvel it. But if you're getting a plate or a bowl or a cup, then you do have to toyvel it. And that's because of the fact that you do blessings over it because it's food because it's 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 ritual. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay, thank you. Yeah, sure. Okay, Helen. Well, I think in the chat I saw questions related to what I'm going to ask. Yeah. When we say idol worshiper, we yeah. just mean anyone who isn't Jewish because they didn't have a concept of anyone being either you were a Jew or you practiced another religion which was idol worshiping. So probably in the time of the Shulchan Aruch, which is this text, um, that is what they meant. But in today's day, when people still toivel, they actually quite literally mean idol worshiping. So there are certain religions that use idols and use, you know, iconography to, to worship gods. And that, that's why for some people, that's why I answered that question earlier. If you go to Glotmart, depending on like, where the item is from, you might feel as though you need to toivel it or you definitely don't need to toivel it. So a friend, uh, actually the rabbi, and he is a friend, but the senior rabbi who I worked with in Northern California lived in India for a little while. And when he came home from India, he brought with him different vessels that he had bought there. He toiveled them because he knows that in India, there are, there are certain, certain iconography and, and um, you know, raven images, for lack of a better term, that are used for spiritual practice. But if he had gone to, I don't know, Morocco or somewhere that even though it's a different religion and different practice, he knows that there is no idol worshiping involved, he might not have done the same thing. So in today's day, it means something different. But yes, probably back in the day, it meant just anybody who's not like us, which is which is a little bit harder to swallow. Right. But I'm a little, I'm a little... Um, focused. So yeah. just help me. If an atheist made it, they're not idol worshippers, so I wouldn't have to toyful. Correct. Got it. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, no problem. So idol, I, idol worshipper in this case is very literal. Correct. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. Alan. Yeah, of course. Alan, go ahead. 
Oh, you're muted though. Hold on. Wait, wait. Here we go. There you go. This is highlighting the point you said if something is owned by a Jew and an idol worshiper. Yeah. And that deals with partnership law and their knowledge and liabilities imputed between and among the parties. So if whatever, even if the idol worshiper did 90% of the work and the Jew only did 10% of the work, at least under American law standards, because it's a partnership and each person is deemed to have the knowledge of the other. Mm. So that if someone, if, if one partner commits a crime yeah. in the partnership, then the other partner could be liable as well, or even more likely a tort that would take place, does something that uh, does something wrong, causes an accident, the other partner would be liable. So to this, the knowledge of one to the other is imputed here. Mm. And so that why that's why I think it makes sense that no blessing would be required because it's as if the idol worshiper had all the knowledge of the Jew because of their partnership. Oh, great. Thank you for bringing that, bringing that law knowledge. Yeah, that's great. That's great. That makes a lot of sense in terms of how they're describing it. In, in um, okay. I now have moved this. So let me see if I can find my place again. Uh, oh, yes, Paula, go ahead while I try to find my Yes, I'm just not clear on the blessing. Yeah. The dunking and bless and just dunking. Yeah, so anytime, without even going into a specific um, example, anytime that you do the blessing, it's it's an assurance that you know why you are dunking, right? So this item came from an idol worshiper. I need to dunk it because it needs to be useful in my Jewish kosher home. So that's why you would dunk it. If you are not sure that it needs to be dunked, right? If you're not sure that an item needs to be toiled because based on who made it, as Alan was just pointing out, right, that partnership between Jew and non-Jew, or if you just are not really sure that it needs to be toiled because of the way in which it was used or will be used, then you just, you, you take it because it's the quote, right thing to do, but you don't do a blessing over it because the blessing is al-hatvila, which means on the immersion. And if you're not sure that that immersion is really necessary, you wouldn't want to do a blessing that is called a bracha levatala, which means kind of a, a, a useless, it's, a, it's a, bad, a bad term in English, but a useless blessing or a blessing that is canceling something out. Does that make sense? Yeah, but... Do you ever do you ever just bless them? No. So if you're doing the just like just like you would never bless the Shabbos candles without actually lighting them. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. 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 So I'm gonna read the whole gloss because I can't remember where I stopped. an Israelite and an idol worshiper who acquire a vessel in partnership, this is getting to what Alan was saying, it does not require dunking. An Israelite whose vessel was robbed or stolen and returned to him, dunking is not required. Interesting, because it seemingly was, quote, owned, right, by the other person, but it does not require dunking. Uh, it's possible that that's because maybe if something was stolen back in the day, they don't believe it'd be used. I don't actually know why that would be. I would I would assume in today's day where things are stolen, they're then used or, or sold, but that is a type of use. Um, and so it would need to be dunked. But I guess in this in this day and age when the Shulchan Aruch was being written or when the Ramah was writing uh, his gloss, 
that it doesn't seem like that would be a type of use. But a minister or governor who forced an Israelite and took his vessel and returned it to him, Duncan is required because it already became permanent in the hand of the idol worshiper. So if someone who is not um, Jewish and also it seems in a, in a position of power um, forced the hand of someone who is Jewish and took the vessel, right? Someone said, you know, I'm the governor of California. You must give me your cup. Right. Uh, this actually could we could play this very well into last week's Parsha right, in terms of Joseph and his brothers um, that dunking is required because that person took it by even those by force took it as as it was going to be his. So even if it gets returned, that was not the intention, going back to that word, right? The intention was not that it was going to be returned. The intention was just that he was going to take it for his own use. So in that case, it does need to go into um, the mikvah and to, to be toiveled because if it, if it was acquired, if it was seen to be the, the non-Jews vessel, even for that short period of time, it, uh, it could have been used for idol worship and therefore needs to be toiveled before used again in the person's home. Um, okay, we're going to, we have five minutes. We're going to see if we can do two more. This one's four words. So, so this says that you can, you must dunk the handles of the vessel. Um, this is why a little bit earlier when we were talking about the wood and the iron, I, I really didn't know how to, <laughs> I didn't know how to explain that one because I knew that this was coming. And if you didn't have to deal with the, it, it's hard for me to imagine that being a bucket because because of this one, right? That you would have to dunk the, the handles anyway. So I, I'm not sure why that that mattered to them in terms of the iron hoops. My guess is it's just a vessel that we don't use any longer. But you have to dunk the handles of the vessel as well. So the whole thing needs to go in, not just like the bottom of the pot, for example, or the inside of the pot. The whole thing needs to go in. So one must remove rust. So I'm just going to move you all so I can see the heap at the same time. One must remove the rust before dunking. And if one did not remove, if he is careful about it, it is a separation. So someone asked last time, oh, I think it was Jackie. Someone asked, do you have to wash the things before they are toiveled, just like you have to wash things before they are koshered? The answer is no, you don't have to wash them. Like you don't have to use soap and water and wash them. But if you acquire something that has some kind of separation on it, some kind of, in this case, rust or any kind of um, like casing, you have to remove that before you can toivel it. The same goes for a person. Um, when a person goes into a mikvah, anything that is seen as a separation to the natural body needs to be removed. That's why people all the time ask, can a person with tattoos go into a mikvah? Yes, because now it's part of your skin. But if you have piercings that can be removed, those have to be removed before you go in, for example. So there are different kinds of separations when it comes to a body, but when it comes to a vessel, anything that is seen as not necessarily just dirt of, you know, sitting, sitting around, but something that would really be seen as a separation of the water to the vessel that's going to be utilized in cooking, that rust needs to be removed. Alan. Oh, unmute, 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 unmute. Where'd you go? I'm right here. Oh, there you go. I, I, I just say, I, I was trying to type. I must have hit a wrong button because I have okay. literally one minute left, uh, 1% left, and I'm not able to see. I just wanted to say thank you, and I have to leave, and I didn't want to leave without saying goodbye and thank <laughs> very you. Very sweet. You're very welcome. Glad to have you. Um, 
And if the person rubs and puts puts it on coals and there still remains a bit of rust, which is not removable this way, it's considered a minority um, that the owner is not particular about it and is not considered a separation. Again, the same goes for a person, right? If there is something on a person's body, like a piercing that can't be removed, for example, it's considered a part of that person, or in this case, a part of the vessel. If that rust cannot be removed at all, or whatever the separation is cannot be removed at all, it's as if it's part of the vessel and you put it into the to the toivel mikvah and you toivel it and you're totally fine. It's only if it can be removed that it is removed. Um, I'll give you a very interesting example um, in terms of how this is used with, with bodies going into a mikvah. If you are a person who shaves your legs, before you go to the mikvah, you are supposed to shave your legs. If you are not a person who shaves your legs, you do not have to remove the hair from your body before you go into the mikvah because if you are not a person who would shave your legs normally, it's as if it's part of your natural body. However, if you are a person who shaves your legs, before you go into the mikvah, you need to come to your most natural state. So uh, what I always say to people is, if you are dolling yourself up and you would shave your legs before doing that, then make sure to do that before you go into the mikvah. And if not, not. So if it's something that can or should be removed, then you remove it. If it cannot or should not be removed, then you do not and you go into the mikvah or you toivel the item with it attached. Um, okay, we're not going to do the next one because it is 8 o'clock and I want to honor the time. Uh, but thank you all. We got to Saif 14, so Yudalit, those playing at home and uh, looking forward to next week. Karen just applauded. So even though she's not excited about the topic, she applauded. Very good. Oh, getting all these emojis. So lovely. Because I'm, I'm excited about you. Oh, thank you. That's so I want to be with you. I don't care what you're saying. Oh, no. oh I mean, I care. I care. Yeah, I care. Okay, thank you. Um, <laughs> we can un unpack that later. Um, thank you all for being here. Have a great, I keep on wanting to say Shabbat Shalom. Have a great rest of your week, and I will see many of you over the course of the week, and see you for more Toivaline next time. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.